Let's be real as fuck about life, real estate, and entrepreneurship. Hi, I'm Julie Chen. You can call me Jules. The Real as Fuck brand is all about providing tools and resources to help new and struggling agents succeed. I share my personal experience not only as a new real estate agent, but also how I overcame the odds starting out as a single mom with a mountain of debt and a ton of self-doubt. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Julie Chin, host of the Real as Fuck podcast. And today I have Robin Baker with Loan Depot with us again to educate us on all things lending. Thanks for, so much for being here today, Robin. Thank you for having me back. I had such a good time with you last time. Let's keep it going. Yeah, just keep educating us. Yes, I love it. <laughs> well, if you don't mind, I'd love to just jump right in. Bring it. What questions do you have Let's... for me today? Perfect. Well, let's start by explaining to the new agent what happens when they do go under contract that first time Okay. from a lending standpoint. Okay. Uh, so from a lending perspective, from the lending side, as soon as the offer is accepted, reach out to me and let me know that the offer has been accepted. And I'm going to ask the agent for a copy of the purchase contract. I'm going to ask the agent... Um, if there's an HOA association, because if it's a condo, I'm going to need the HOA contact information because we have a condo department that orders the essential condo documents and they can't do that unless I get the HOA contact information. Um, and if there's, you know, anything abnormal or something that they want to point out on the contract that they don't want me to miss, they want to make sure I know, just make sure to tell me, I will always read the contract you know, to get the closing date, the loan contingency date, to see if there's any seller credits, um, you know, to see who the agents are, because I have to put that into my system, the sales price, the loan amount. Those are the typical things. But if there's anything out of the ordinary that you think I should know. Such as what would be out of the ordinary? Well, like example? in this market, it's no, it's very rare to have a seller concession, to have a seller credit. For sure. Uh, but... In normal, in, mar in buyer's markets, it's kind of a normal thing. So I'm always, I need to make sure that I disclose the seller credit and then I tell the, the uh, appraiser if there's a seller credit. So you don't see it very much in this market because we don't see seller credits right now. <laughs> but, you know, if there, it doesn't mean there couldn't be one. So if there is, you know, if you don't want, if there's something you think is important on that contract, you know, just it, it helps to let me know about it. Or also like the, the condition of the property. If you feel like mm -hmm. the appraiser is going to call, might call out something, let's talk about that. Yeah. So I'm just mm -hmm. aware and we can, you know, set up a plan in case that does happen and how we would handle that if it did happen. So if you think the condition of the property is going to be an issue or there's anything, you know, you think might be a red flag, just definitely let me know. So the, the, send me the contract because I can't do anything without the contract. Um, send me the HOA information if applicable. And then the other thing is we need to find out who title is going to be because the first thing I do after I get the contract is reach out to the title company and get the fees so that I can send out the disclosures and I cannot order the appraisal until the borrower signs the disclosures. And I want the disclosures to be accurate with the correct title fees. So, you know, I will ask the agent, who do you want to use for title or I usually use this title company or this title company and we, we come to an agreement on 
who the title company is going to be. In different states, the seller will decide who the title is. And in other states, the buyer will decide who the title company is. Or it's an attorney. Yeah, or if it's an attorney state. So like in California, uh, the seller decides who the title company and the escrow company is going to be. So I just ask the listing agent, who do you want to use for escrow and title? But in New Hampshire... You, you ask the list agent or the buyer agent? Well, in, in California, the seller is the oh. one who, who picks gotcha. the title company and the escrow company. It's It's different in every state. So... You know, in California, because the seller is the one that has the say, they generally will ask the, their agent, you know, the, the listing agent, who should I use? Or the listing agent will basically pick for them. So in California, I know just to stay out of it and just ask the listing agent who we're using. But in New Hampshire, for example, the buyer usually picks the title company and the buyer is going to refer to the loan officer or the buyer's agent to help them decide which title company to use because they don't know, right? But we, we've worked with right. many different title companies. So, you know, um, it, it's uh, the buyer has more say in this in the state of New Hampshire. So I will reach out to the, the buyer's agent and say, hey, do you want to use this title company or this title company? And sometimes they don't have a preference, but if the agent has a preference, I'm willing to be flexible and use who they want to use. I got you. And I, I think I'd also like to point out that every loan officer might have different documents that they want and from the buyer agent. For example, I know a lender who wants not only the purchase and sale agreement, they also want the deed and the tax bill and the writer if there's any association Um yeah, the uh, HOA writer and, and that association. Sort of yeah. Yeah. Um, so checking with the loan officer and making sure that you know that as a new agent, that new agent knows what documents that lender wants. You're sure. easy. So, <laughs> but not everyone wants just the one or two documents. So checking in with the loan officer and making sure that as an agent, you provide what that lender needs so they Correct. can do their job. Correct. And what role does the title company have from your lending perspective and how do you all work together? Okay. So the role, the, one of the main roles of the title company is to do a title search or a title examination of the property to discover if there's any liens or debts or claims or restrictions that would compromise the rights of the buyer as the new owner. And so that's one of the main things they do when they're, when they're, um, we need a, we need a title report and they're researching the property, um, to make sure we've got a clear title. Uh, but they also will order the payoff demands for the seller's mortgages. And they provide us with the tax information of the property they prepare, like I said, the title documents and other documents that our underwriter will need in order to get clear to close. And then they'll handle the closing and all the disbursements of the money. Um, they'll work with all the parties to ensure a timely closing that we all close on time. And then they'll also record the required documents with the uh, registry at closing. So they, they play a big role 
in, in getting the loan done. We cannot get the loan done without a title company. And we are in touch with the title company throughout the entire process. So in the beginning, once uh, me and the agent come to an agreement on who the title company is going to be, I reach out to them first and, um, you know, I get, I let them know what the sales price is and what the loan amount is, and they give me their fees. And then I do the disclosures, like I mentioned before. And then um, mm -hmm. my setup team will be in touch with the title company to let the title company know which documents we need and who to send them to on my team. And then when we are clear to close, that's when my doc drawer and the funder, they, they're, then they start reaching out to the title company to reconcile the final figure that the buyer is going to need to bring in at closing. And they also coordinate with my processing team on when closing is going to take place and where. So it's, you know, I'm in, pro I'm, I'm in touch with them, then my processor, then the funder, you know, all, all of my team is in touch with the title company. We each have our roles as to when we need to reach out to the t title company and what for, but um, we're in touch with them all through the process. It takes a village. It does take <laughs> right? a village. That's a so lot of many in the people. kitchen. Yep. I think, you know, clients don't realize just how many people it does sure. take and what happens behind the scenes to get a mortgage. Right, the right, absolutely. Yeah. And what can the new agent do to make things go more smoothly from the perspective of lending? You know, I think communication is just really key. Um, giving, providing the documents that we request up front, um, letting me know if anything comes up along the way on the seller side or on the buyer side with the, you know, if, if if they decide to change anything on the contract, um, like I have a client right now where the, I got the contract and it says that the closing date's going to be anywhere between eight eighteen and and nine twenty nine, but we're having to go back and forth on when how you know how are we going to nail this down? What 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 is the seller's mm -hmm. concern? What do we need to prove to the seller in order them to you know really let us know, hone in on a closing date. So, you know, just communication, anything that comes up um, on, on my end as the lender, if, if there's anything that comes up on the loan that I feel is going to hold us up, um, you know, prevent closing from happening on time. It's my job to be totally transparent and relay that to the agents and let them know what I'm doing to fix the problem. And then I expect the mm -hmm. same on the agent side. If like, for example, if the appraisal came in and, there were some repairs that had to be done. They need to let me know when the repairs are going to be done. So we know when to send the appraiser out there again and how that's going to affect our timeline. Um, another thing that the agent can do to make things go smoothly is have a, a, a strategic phone call with myself and the client when they're making the, when they're, well, when they're making the offer to get the offer accepted, but you're really asking from the time the offer is accepted. It's really just about communication, being being a team player. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know from the way I handle things, any any change with the contract on the addendum, whether it's a name change or a date change or obviously anything with money, all of that gets sent to lending and title so that's a that perfect way they, example 
always got all the up-to-date information. I just recently had a price change, a name change, um, a name, uh, well, the name correction, kind of same thing, but different circumstances. And all of that went over or after inspection, there was a credit. Well, and uh, new agents need to realize every one of these changes are important and have changed the end game in a way. So that all needs to go to the lender and it needs to go to title so that everybody has all the up-to-date information. Yes. Any changes on the closing date, seller credits, um, the name changes, all of those are very important so that Mm -hmm. I can pass that down along to my team so that when loan documents are finalized and sent to the title company, at the end, everything is totally correct. Right. I know a mistake I made early on. I neglected to give the HOA rider to the title company. And then when we got, I don't know if I forgot the lender as well. It was probably you even. I do not remember. (laughs) But I know that when we got to closing, that wasn't part of it and it needed to be. And so there was a scramble. Um, (laughs) Luckily, not a huge deal and fixable. But the more prepared we can be in the beginning and throughout and dotting our I's and crossing our T's makes the the ending go more smoothly, which is what we want for everybody involved. Yeah, when in doubt, just ask the loan officer, do you need this? Sometimes I'll say, oh, I don't want to see that. (laughs) You know, I don't want to see the request for repairs. Uh, We don't want that in the file. Uh, But if there's a seller credit that that comes out of that, then we we need to know that. So, you know, when in doubt, just ask. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and you learn it as you go, but we're here to educate the new agent and help them navigate uh, any of those pitfalls to make their, their getting up and going That's right. easier, problem-free. <laughs> when I get the loan approval, if, it's a, if there's a condition that has to do with the agents, I'll reach out to the buyer's agent and the seller's agent and say, hey, I need your signature on this FHA form. There's a couple FHA forms that require the listing agent and the seller's signature and the buyer's signature and the buyer's agent signature. So, you know, anything I need that the, the agent wouldn't know that to give to me, mm-hmm. they don't need to worry because I will always reach out and say, hey, we need, the, we need you to do this. I'll, I'll stay on top of the agent to, to get what we need, even if they don't know. Well, you know, speaking of FHA, what are the main differences between the loan products? Okay, so down payment. Um, Conventional loans require as little as 3% down. Um, FHA requires 3.5% down. VA loans require no money down. So knowing the different down payments, uh, like those are for single family detached homes, one unit. On on conventional two to four units, you're going to need 15% to 25% down. Um, but on an FHA two to four unit, you still only need three and a half percent down. So just depending on the property type, um, mm-hmm. and you know, those, those different loan programs have different down payment requirements and mm-hmm. 
Other differences, FHA and VAR tend to be more credit forgiving than conventional. So if somebody has a low FICO score, they're, they're more apt to be approved with an FHA and VA loan versus a, versus a conventional loan. Um, mortgage insurance, there's differences in mortgage insurance. So for example, um, if, if someone is putting 20% down on a conventional loan, they don't need to pay monthly mortgage insurance, but with FHA, they still have to pay monthly mortgage insurance. Um, FHA and VA are more credit forgiving when it comes to the cost of mortgage insurance uh, versus conventional. So with conventional, it's very credit score driven. So if you have a lower credit score, you're going to pay more for the monthly mortgage insurance. Where FHA, it's the same amount. It's based on the same rate, no matter the credit score. And with VA, there is no mortgage insurance. And that's one of the reasons we love VA so much is because you can, a, a veteran can put um, less than or no money down and not have monthly mortgage insurance. So definitely mortgage insurance is a difference. Um, waiting period. So after a life derogatory event, such as a bankruptcy or a foreclosure or a short sale, in order to be approved for a conventional loan for, let's say, a bank, a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, you would have to wait four years. But on a VA or an FHA loan, you only have to wait two years. Um, with the foreclosure, con conventional loans require a seven-year uh, seasoning, whereas FHA only requires three years and VA only requires two years. And then if it's a short sale, conventional requires four years. FHA requires three years, VA only requires two years. So things like that. So, you know, every client is different. Every, you know, that is why it's so important when I take the application that I find and I run their credit and I find out, does this client have a life derogatory event? Because that's definitely going to affect, you know, what loan product that they'll qualify for. If they have a foreclosure that's only four years old, I can't put them into a conventional loan, but I can put them into an FHA loan for now. So, those are the those are the some some of the differences between them. Well, I appreciate that very much because I know that I would say at least my first year I was always kind of fuzzy on what the difference was between all of them, and, and I would take notes and go in one ear and out the other. Uh, yeah, and just and the, kept trying. The guidelines are always changing. It used to be when I first got mm -hmm. in the business like 70% of my deals were FHA because at the time conventional required more money down. And then as the years, then FHA, and then as the years passed, um, conventional came out with a program that required as little as 3% down. So that, that kind of switched. And then, you know, more of my, more of my clients are, 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 I put into conventional loans now, but it's not to say that FHA and VA loans, are not great loan programs. I bought my first condo using an FHA loan because it worked. It worked best for me based on my scenario. Uh, you know, they're 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 all good loan programs. So I don't like to you know discriminate between them. It's just whatever works best for that customer's situation and what's most cost effective for, sure. for them as well. And so sometimes I'll you know be like, okay, this. Their credit score is right on the point where I'm not sure it might be more cost effective to go FHA. Um, however, I will say in this seller's market, uh, conventional financing is favored 
as you know, Mm -hmm. but sometimes, you know, so if I can't put right now in this market, if I can do (laughs) conventional financing, I will, but I will always explain to the, the agents that, you know, even if I'm, I might be putting them in an FHA loan because actually FHA, they might have a great credit score, um, but FHA allows a higher debt to income ratio generally. So it gives them more purchasing power and same with VA. Mm-hmm. So that's another difference is, you know, purchasing power and, and debt to income ratios, VA and FHA allow higher debt to income ratios. So if they're really pushing that and they want a higher sales price, I might need to flip it from conventional to FHA or VA, even though they've got great credit. So don't mm-hmm. assume mm-hmm. that FHA and VA loans are for for just for first-time home buyers or just for people that have um, lower credit scores, you know, it's just, it's going to, it's each client is like its own unique snowflake with, with what works for them. For sure. And how does it impact the loan product uh, based on how much money someone has to put down? Is, is that part of it in, in choosing which type of loan? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we have a lot of programs that have zero to low down payments, but if you if you have 20% down, I'm going to want to put you in a conventional loan as long as your credit score fits the conventional loan because if you put 20% down, you avoid paying mortgage insurance. Um, so mm-hmm. how much you put down, you know, definitely, how much you want to put down definitely affects which product would be best for okay. you. Okay, and does that influence rate at all or is yes. rate just the rate nope uh the, the rate is dependent upon so many different things not everyone qualifies for the same rate the rate is dependent upon how much you put down your credit score the property type whether it's a single family a condo units etc um if it the rate is also dependent on if it's going to be a primary residence or a second home or an investment property, second homes and investment properties have higher interest rates than a primary residence. Um, whether or not you have an escrow account can affect the interest rate. Uh, the, the loan amount, if it's a jumbo loan versus a conforming loan amount, that affects the interest rate. There are like 20 different things that affect the interest rate. So, wow. when some, so many variables. So many variables. So when someone calls me, and they just want a rate quote. What I usually tell them is like, hey, you know, I would be doing you an injustice if I just quoted you a rate because there's no way for me to tell if that's an accurate rate unless I know the scenario. What are you looking to buy? A single family or a condo or a fourplex? You know, um, is it going to be your primary residence? Can you tell me what your credit score is? Um, I just give me like five or six, seven different facts and then I can start to hone in on and give an accurate, accurate quote. And something for the new agent to understand, when we send a client to you for a pre-approval, I guess all of a sudden I've got a couple of questions in in here. Mm -hmm. So I guess we'd start with a difference between a pre-qual and a pre-approval. And because this question comes up all the time, when that buyer has you handle either one of those, the qual or the approval, is that impacting their credit? Good question. Score. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying. Good questions. Okay. 
So a uh, pre-qualification is just when someone calls me and they want me to simulate numbers and they tell me what they think their credit score is and what they think their income is and what they they what they think their monthly debts are. Do they lie? <laughs> Sometimes they don't realize that, you know, uh, you know, when I ask them for their gross monthly income, a lot of times they'll give me their net income. Or if they're someone who is self-employed, I have to explain to them, you know, we, we can't use gross income for self-employment. We use your net. So I need to see your tax returns, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, whereas if the W-2 person, you know, we can use gross income. So, so a lot of times when they're giving me the information, they don't mean, they mean to give me the correct information, but they might leave out that, oops, I forgot to mention this student loan, or I forgot to mention I owe money on this credit card. And, um, I didn't, you know, tell her what that payment was. So a pre-qual is, is not what you want to go on. I I will not issue a pre-approval letter unless I have the documents. And that's what differentiates a pre-approval versus a, a pre-qual. Uh, with a pre, pre-approval, I have their application. I have run their credit. They have sent me their income docs. And I, I've seen their bank statement. I know that they've got enough money for the down payment and the closing mm-hmm. costs. And then I can issue a pre-approval letter. But I really do not like to issue a pre-approval letter based on hearsay. Because, you know, I, I, but I can sense. tell I've been doing this for so long that I can... I can tell when someone calls me if it's, you know, if it's like pretty solid just from talking to them or if it's like shaky, you know. So I have had those instances where I have a realtor say, oh, I really need this pre-approval letter like ASAP. And I haven't gotten the docs yet from the buyer Um, based on it. You know, if I feel confident talking to the client, I will do that as a favor. But I generally do not like to do that. That's not good practice. You want the buyer, the agent <laughs> wants the buyer to give the documents to the loan officer so that they can issue a, a solid pre-approval letter. And then I like to take it one step further and I like to send the loan to the underwriter and get the full underwriting approval. I do that from a strategic, just for all about, that's all about strategy. So when the buyer puts an offer in, I can call the listing agent and say, hey, yes, they're pre-approved. I have all their documents. But we also took it one step further. We got it underwritten so we can close faster. And you guys can write that into the contract. And you do, Julie. I noticed that on the last contract that we had together, you put buyer has already been underwritten and approved. And that can definitely have an impact on whether they get their offer accepted. Because if, if it comes down to both buyers, you know, basically offering the same price point, and now they're looking at whose financing is the strongest, it's always going to help to say that they're already underwritten. All we need is the appraisal if we, and in the last case, we didn't even need an appraisal because we got an appraisal waiver. Um, but, you know, just title insurance. And and so that can help. And so that's a really good tip that I try to educate new new buyer or new agents on is, you know. I listen. You should do. <laughs> so let's get it fully underwritten. You know, even if, there's, even if they're not under contract, you want to be underwritten by the time they write an offer if possible. So for the new agent to understand what that actually means. Um, underwriting approval means they've gone through all the steps and you're just waiting for appraisal and whatever other conditions that the underwriting department stipulates? Yeah. So um, the loan officer's job is to, is, is we don't make the final decision. The underwriter does. It's mm-hmm. our job to guide the borrower on which loan product is going to be best for them, most cost-effective for them, and which, and how it would be if it's approvable under, you know, maybe it's not, it's my job to know 
pretty much how an underwriter thinks and what the guidelines are so that I know, okay, they're not going to qualify for this program, but they will qualify for this program because I want to send in a loan pro package that I know is going to be approvable by the underwriter. But the underwriter makes the final decision. So when the underwriter gives us the approval, it's usually a conditional approval, meaning they have looked and they have looked at the debt to income ratio. They have looked at the credit. They've looked at the assets. Um, they, it's all good to go, but they make, they make a condition for the appraisal or proof of insurance, the title report. Maybe they need an updated pay stub from the borrower. Maybe there's a gap in the borrower's employment that they want a letter of explanation for. Maybe they had a, uh, maybe there was a divorce and they want to make sure that the uh, buyer doesn't pay or receive alimony or child support. Now, all these things, I, I, it's my job to uncover as much as possible in the very beginning because I don't want any surprises. So, um, but I, if it's, if it's one of those files where it's like a gray area, it's like, oh gosh, the debt to income ratio is really tight right now. And if the underwriter uses a penny less than what I used to calculate, mm. then we might have a problem. I want to send that into underwriting to make sure the underwriter agrees with how I calculated income and, and, you know, so I like to get them all underwritten upfront anyway, even on the clean deals. But I especially love to get them underwritten if I think there could be a potential issue so we know mm -hmm. upfront mm -hmm. that it is doable and this is how we're going to get around it or, or whatever. So, so that, you know, the underwriter makes a final decision. They're going to make it. It'll be approved subject to conditions. Then it's our job to get clear those conditions, gather all the conditions from the borrower side and from the title side and appraisal side, we send it all into underwriting again, once we have the conditions and that's when we get clear to close. And, you know, that's when great, we're, we're ready to close all the conditions. Everybody's happy. Yeah. 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 I know one thing that I do is educate my buyer from the moment we go under contract. I tell them don't buy furniture don't go buy a car, don't open a new credit card, do not do anything that is going to impact your finances, your credit score after they've spoken to you, right? Like you've got the information. Yeah. I Deals, I haven't had it, knock on something. I, I've never had a deal end because someone went out and charged up a ton of furniture, but you could see how easy it could happen if the agent doesn't know to have that conversation. Well, and I'm sure from a lending standpoint, you definitely do as well, but some things are, are better covered multiple times. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you saying that to clients as a reminder, because that is part of the pre-approval process is once I have them approved, I'll say, okay, we don't want anything to affect this approval. So if you, you know, if you're going to want to open up a new credit card or buy something. Don't. don't. Yeah. <laughs> and if you feel like you need to, make sure you call me first and say, hey, this is what I want to do. Is this going to have an impact? Because sometimes it's fine. But if the debt to income ratio is right on the line, then it's not going to be fine. Uh, you know, don't try not to switch jobs while you're under contract. And I mean, that happens. <laughs> we had that happen yeah. a couple of years ago. I can't remember who it was, but. And, and that can yeah. be okay too, but <laughs> it's, 
startling. It's scary when we don't know about it up front. If you do, if yeah, I have had that situation and I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years. So that that's come up at least a handful of times for me. And, um, yeah. you know, if they say, Hey, you know, I just got this job offer. Is it okay if I switch jobs and I'll, you know, I look at how, how long are we going to get a pay stub in time from the new, is it in the same industry? So sometimes it's fine, but, uh, it, <laughs> I've also had it where clients just quit their job and they haven't gotten a new job yet. And we've had to, you know, delay the closing. So that gives me a heart attack. So we just don't want, you're right. We just don't want, um, clients to do anything out of the ordinary or make major changes. And, and I always, I always just tell my clients, like, pretend like I'm your priest, just tell me everything. I, you know, judgment. I'll just tell you <laughs> if it's okay or if it's going to cause a problem and how to get around it. And if you need to wait or not, or, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I did want to circle back on the prequel. I already know the answer, but we're going to cover it anyway. The prequel and the pre-approval. When we send a client to you to have those handled, is it what's, I guess it's called a hard pull. Like oh, yes. the bottom line is, is this going to impact their credit score? Because Clients ask all the time, and the new agent might not be aware of that, but that question is going to come their way. Sorry, I forgot to answer that part of your question. Oh, no, no worries. Um, but that's a good question. And so we have the ability to do what we call a soft pull. And uh, so we can pull the credit without it being considered a hard inquiry, so it wouldn't affect their score. But that's – I don't – it's, it's not as reliable as a hard pull. Um, so I prefer to do a hard pull, especially if the credit score is shaky. If they've got a 720 plus FICO score, and see with the soft pull, it only pulls one score. It doesn't pull all three scores, okay? So mm -hmm. it pulls the TransUnion score. So I'm only going off one score. And with a hard pull, because when we do, when we send it to processing and we send it to underwriting, we do have to have a hard pull. Okay. I figured, uh, yeah. But in the beginning, as part of the pre-approval process, if someone doesn't want me to run their credit yet, if they don't want it to count as an inquiry on their credit score, I can say I can just run a, a soft pull, but I'm only going to get one credit score. And let's say that credit score is 630, kind of shaky, right? Mm. Knowing that. I have to use the middle of all three scores for qualifying purposes. When I run the, when I actually run, run the hard pull, it might have a, a score that's lower than 630 and that might not make it approvable. So I, I tend to, you know, we can do a soft pull, um, but in the beginning, just when, but if they're real serious and they're going to, they want their file underwritten, then I need to do a hard pull and it could affect their credit sense. score. A little bit, depending on how many times they've had their credit pulled in the last year. If they've only had their credit pulled a couple times, then running it is not going to be a big deal. But if they've had their credit pulled a lot in the last, you know, three to 12 months, it could affect their score in a negative way. And what sort of things cause that credit pull? Is that like op buying a car, opening a credit card? What other types of things? Yeah. So cause you know, that if someone pull? goes to buy a car, they're going to run a credit report. Um, if, if the dealership's going to run a credit report, generally when you apply for a credit card, they run a credit report. Um, 
getting any types of any type of financing is 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 going to be considered an inquiry. So, you know, sometimes right, people will clients will apply somewhere and they get denied, so they just keep applying for the same type of credit over and oh, over, thinking that great. they might. You know, and, and that's not get lucky. <laughs> yeah. And that's usually not the case. And that's usually just hurting them more than anything. So I tell that, people, that do, makes sense. Be careful how many times you have your, your, your credit report pulled. Uh, but for a, a true accurate pre-approval, we do need to pull it. Wow. Thank you for that info. Mm -hmm. And before we go, first, I want to say thank you again so much for being here today. And I'd love for you to tell our listeners, remind them what states you cover and how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I am licensed in New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, Vermont, and California. And they can reach out to me at 603-236-7517 or 619-549-7689. I have two phone numbers, uh, some, I'm, some for my California clients and then some for my East Coast clients. Um, <laughs> and then my email is robinbaker at loandepot.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-B-A-K-E-R at loan, L-O-A-N-D-E-P-O-T.com. And I'm always available to answer questions, to educate, to um, take the you know take their application over the phone, send them a link so that they can start the pre-approval process online, and uh, you know just they can reach me, they can call me, you know Julie, you can call me, text me, email me, day, night, weekends, I'll try to be as available as possible. Yep, that's the way I like it. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on again. Yeah, it's always fun. And I was thinking next time, why don't we do a short podcast that is all on definitions? Gotcha. It could get a little boring, but that's why we'll make that one shorter. But I think that that'd be really helpful. Sure, I'll give you some of the, you know, lending acronyms like loan to value, debt to income ratio, you know, exactly. cover how to handle appraisal gaps. What does an appraisal gap mean? And yeah, you know, some of the yep. acronyms that we use that just the word that Perfect. the agent should be aware of and what they mean. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd really appreciate that. So stay tuned everyone. All right. Great. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you for listening in, everyone. Please check out our website at therealafprogram.com. Check us out on all the social media platforms at Real AF Program. Thank you for listening, and we'll check in with you next time. Make sure you subscribe to our Spotify channel so you get updated every time we drop a new podcast. And check out our website at realafprogram.com.